Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I am one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm joined by our other host, the illustrious Covert Go Blue. How are you doing today, CGB? Hey guys, it's me. It's CGB. Stuff got banned. This week turned upside down in a heartbeat and uh, we got to play a whole bunch of Magic this week with cards that I think we all had decided were terrible a few weeks ago. So, uh, for me, it was a pretty fun week, and I still don't think I know everything about Standard, which is interesting with all that's going on. How about you? I don't think anyone really knows all what's going on in Standard right now, because it's just such a fresh format. It feels like historic after the Jumpstart release, all shaken up. And to be honest, that's a good thing. I think the best formats are non-solved formats. And that was the gift that they gave us with this standard. So, yeah, I'm stoked about it. So here's the funny thing. This is how the progression went. A couple weeks ago, standard wasn't that exciting. I wasn't really playing it. I got really into Historic. I was playing some fun janky decks in Historic, and that was a good time. And then, you know, Reclamation came to Historic, and I was kind of over it. And so... But then I discovered this wonderful Dominaria draft format, which I basically managed to miss so far. So I've been kind of jamming that. And then when they announced the new standard, I was like, man, I was just getting into this Dominaria format. Now I'm going to have to start playing some Constructed again. So anyway, so that's, <laughs> that's kind of the flow. That's been the flow for me. For the, for recap, the to, to recap, you are very bummed about a brand new standard because you <laughs> enjoyed Dominaria Draft. Got it. <laughs> Got it. I'll see myself out. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so for the next 50 minutes, but no, I'm just kidding. So the focus of this show is going to be, we're going to talk about the new standard format and which I have played some, I have played some. And then we're going to pivot into talking about the Amonkhet remaster because there's been some kind of scandalous data mining has uncovered some additional cards. Plus, we just got the full list. So there's plenty going on there. Now, that's to be clear. This is a set which is going to be, I believe it's going to be limited playable only as far as how you actually get the cards and do the events. But then uh, you can buy packs. Oh, you can buy packs. Okay. Yes, packs okay. will be available for sale. I don't think they announced the price. Okay, so they they learned from their jumpstart mistake, hopefully. But they will be playable in historic, so that's pretty relevant for us to talk about too. So we will be discussing that. Um, but first, let's get into some standard CGB. Now, th- I'll just like kind of briefly recap my my what I've done in standard so far, which is I tried a few janky decks just because I'm me. Tried Phoenix again. Newsflash: Phoenix is just as bad as it ever was. I have also tried the like red blue aggressive Stormwing Entity Sprite Dragon deck, and it feels like some version of that deck could be tier two ish or at least fun on the best of one ladder and not terrible. To be honest, though, I'm just back to one of my initial loves, which is Teamer Adventure, which I think is definitely one of the top tier decks in the format currently, and have been having 
uh, you know, so-and-so success with the deck. So, yeah, I, I, there's been a lot of Saltai matchups. There's still a lot of Mono Red on the ladder. I don't know. That's kind of like my overview from what I'm seeing so far in the meta game. How about you, CGB? So I agree with you on the teamer adventure. That seems to be where the pros are turning as well. I've seen, I've been watching some of the SCG events that have been firing and have had coverage for the last few days. And every time I tune in, it's a teamer adventure mirror. Oh, wow. So I, I find that concerning. Um, we could turn this into a rant about the flex slots, but it seems like most people right now are on to Aethergust in the fl- in those in those spots because all the good decks are still red and green. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. It's it's kind of unnerving. Like I was looking through the decks I have in front of me and I'm just like well, I mean, I've got this blue-white deck. It's not ready. Um it doesn't it, and beating adventures with blue-white is it, it's kind Good of luck. like um, it's it's the worst possible timeline, uh, quite honestly, for <laughs> yeah. blue white. And then I'm looking at a Demir control deck that I want so much to be good, and I'm like, that's not ready. Um, so yeah, Aethergust is still really good in this format, and that's bizarre that we've come so far. But the color wheel, and especially with all that's that's banned, right? The color wheel hasn't really changed in standard. The engines are still the same. But I've had a really fun week. So I got back to Mythic pretty quickly. Most of that was playing mono green. I think I smashed uh, platinum and early diamond with a mono green list. It was pretty easy the first day after the bands. Then I switched to mirror flash. That got me up a few spots. I made a video about that. That one did pretty well. Then I got into Mythic with Teferi. Um, No, sorry. I got into Mythic with Narset. Tribal, <laughs> Jeskai, Narset, yeah, right. eight Narset, Jeskai, yeah, it was very nice, very fun deck. Uh, basically, a just running the full eight, then, yeah, full eight Narsets, nice. uh, the Parter of Veils and the Kung Fu uh, Narset of the Ancient Way, and that was a really fun deck. Basically, it ran a ton of expensive cards, planning to use them with Narset to kick things. One of the greatest moments was. Uh, my opponent had an Ugin I couldn't deal with, and I minused my Narset and drew my Ugin and kicked Ugin at Ugin. <laughs> I love it. That's the best yep. fling ever. That deck broke me into Mythic, where I came in in, in the like 200s, and then it got me all the way up to around 40. Uh, the next day, I played Teamer Elementals, and the day after that, Rakdos Sacrifice. I had great records with both of them. I've been hanging around like the top 30, top 20 for a while. So that's been exciting. Didn't you hit 11 at one point? I did. I hit 11 at one point, which is the best I've done. That was with Ash Lizzle's Rakdos deck, which no cat. Uh, she still hit number one with, without cat. Yes, uh, I, feel, I feel vindicated for still believing in Rakdos. Yeah, the Rakdos is not a joke. It is amazing how quickly that card, that deck, reduces life totals to zero. And Arcfiend's Vessel might be... Legit. Oh, really? I. Oh, yeah. It's a four Arcfiends vessel list. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the video of that is up on YouTube as well if people want to see the whole thing. But call the Death Dweller getting back. Like, just imagine if you can, on turn three, sacrifice two vessels to a priest, cast call the Death Dweller, get back two demons. I mean, you know, that is some that's, sweet. That's, these are some sweet words bad. you're talking to me. It's not bad. I, th- I think you may still need one oven. 
Like, Oven makes a huge difference against Mono Red and against Adventures to just keep them from getting their giants and their borrowers and to just have, like, a life advantage and to always have a sacrifice outlet. Because Red especially will kill your Woe Strider and your Priest. I think you just need something else to make sure that you can sacrifice your cards when you're in a matchup with Bone Crusher Giants. So. Yeah. Yeah, and having another zero mana sacrifice outlet is nice too. It's like you can't always leave up village rights or stuff like that. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. And just, you know, random artifacts always being a slightly difficult card type for the opponent to deal with. Yeah, I, I also felt really good, like playing Rakdos and it being really good because I've been saying that Rakdos was the best deck for best of one for a while and I feel like a lot of people have been playing it and now I can tell them their wild cards were not completely wasted you can still play it without cat and succeed so uh, for those of you crying over the loss of the kitty there is still hope I feel like Rakdos for a really long time now Rakdos has been like a bit more playable than most people think it is. You know, it's like however playable you think Rakdos is, it's probably a little better than that. Not super consistently, but I would just say over the last couple of standard formats, I think it's it's been pretty good. The power level is definitely there. So yeah, I'm I'm glad to see that it still has legs after the cat is gone. There are just enough powerful cards in that deck that it you have to imagine that something's possible, right? Yeah, the battlefields of the new standard seem to have a lot more creatures than the old standard. So far, anyway. Sultai might be the exception, but even they are playing Llanowar Visionary, Jor-Ale, um, just uh, Nissa Lands, of course, and Krasis. So now, whereas before you just kind of put out your Mayhem Devil and pinged them to death with Cat Oven because you had free sacrifice triggers, now it's like Call the Death Dweller getting Mayhem Devil and using a couple sacrifices here and there for the Death Touch. It's really good. It's kind of weird that it took us so long to get Death Touch on a Mayhem Devil, but it's it's pretty great. Yep, it's, it's good in Standard. It's pretty good in Historic, too. That's that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. And I just I still think that Claim the Firstborn is really is one of the strongest cards in standard right now. And in any creature heavy matter, I think Claim it's just a serious consideration. So I mean, we have mono red aficionado Brandon Burton running it with no sack outlets because he just thinks oh. it's a good card. You know what I mean? So he he's trying that version with just main deck claim instead of shocks now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not sure whether that's like his specific version now, but I've definitely seen him running it, you know, at at points. And so, yeah, I mean, the card is just super efficient and does a lot of damage. And and for any deck that cares about doing damage, it's really good. And it it can you know be especially good. You know what's okay? This is this interests me actually. So, claim was very good against Teamer Adventure for a long time because you could steal the lovestruck beast and you usually had a one one in play so that you could just you know brain them for five that was a really really strong play pattern does this deck still have enough one ones to be able to do that consistently dreadhorde butcher can be a one one if you're failing <laughs> um arcfiend's vessel can that's a one you know, that's a one one yeah um yeah so 
It's got a couple. You can still possible. get that sometimes. Yeah. The the thing with cat is, of course, it just never died, right? Right. Once you once you drew one, you were good. You always had a cat nearby for the rest of the game. Uh, Arkveen's vessel, you don't even necessarily want it on the battlefield. You just want to get it back with call and make a five five. So, I that's probably harder. I love struck beast. Uh, that is a heck of a card against aggro. Do you think that? You know, we we talked that we talked when the bans happen. Is aggro good now? Do you think Lovestruck Beast is just like nah? Like it's such a it's such a nasty front door on aggro, right? It is. All right, so so this is what I'm thinking about aggro. If I were playing aggro, I probably would want to be doing mono green, like you've been espousing, because because you get to play Lovestruck Beast, um, which is great, and. It just, it generally, I, I do still think it's generally favored against mono red. Their not draws can be better, but in the average game, I think mono green pulls ahead of mono red. And I also think that mono green is the most likely to be able to put up a fight against team or adventure out of all the aggro decks. Because one of the things that Team or Adventure loves to do against these aggro decks is just like gun down all your permanents with bone crusher giant and that's a little harder to do against mono green now you can get wrecked harder by brazen borrower because you invest more money into each individual creature more mana and then the brazen borrower just totally returns your board to your hand and you lose but you know you have cards like questing beast that can help you recover and so yeah i think if i were playing aggro right now it would probably be the mono green variety over mono red it seems like Mono Green has a problem with Edgewall Innkeeper that Mono Red doesn't have, but uh, Mono Green does not have a problem with Lucky Clover if they're still doing the Gem Razor thing, and Mono Red has no way to deal with that. So it's kind of interesting how that washes out. I would definitely, definitely, definitely still be running Primal Might or Ram Through or Threat, whatever, whatever your favorite version of the green fight spell is or the bite spell, I would definitely be prioritizing those in your green deck because they're just very, very strong in the format. Yeah, I I, I would say you probably can't use it on an innkeeper though, right? You have to move the big the big walls out of the way and kill them uh, is how I would probably play it. That's an interesting yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean it's so if the team or adventure player is smart, they're not gonna give you a good window to do that. I think one of the biggest strategic questions in the team or adventure deck is when do I play out my edge walling keeper? It's a bit of a puzzle, right? Because you have to count your mana, you have to think turns ahead, you have to think about what your opponent's going to do in the meantime. And oftentimes it is correct to just leave your innkeeper in hand to play right before your adventure creatures so you get like at least one guaranteed trigger off of it but it's not always correct you know sometimes you you look at your next handful of turns and you think this is the spot where i'm going to resolve this card because i i just have to play on curve for the next three four plus turns so i think against a skilled team or adventure opponent i think that you're correct that going going for the innkeeper is probably just not ultimately going to be the right thing but sometimes you get these nice windows sometimes your team or opponent's forced to play it out on turn one and then you can just you know pick it off maybe we need to revisit gruel a, a deck that can play like bone crusher giant and shock for the innkeeper and gem razor for the clover if if we're afraid of uh, the adventure deck yeah it's so 
you're talking to the wrong person when it concerns Gruel because I've been so down on that deck in standard ever. Like, I've just always thought it was a terrible choice for standard specifically. So you're not going to find an endorsement of that deck from me. However, you make some good points. I mean, Questing Beast with Embercleave is a hell of a drug. And you do get to play, you know, fun cards like Emberth Shieldbreaker, Gem Razor. So one of the things that I'm actually curious about is we saw some Gruul decks in past formats that were actually Edgewall Innkeeper decks. And I don't, I never really played much with or against those decks, so I don't know how viable they were. But I'm kind of curious about that. They might be better in a less Teferi-driven environment because the problem with that deck is they didn't have all the 2-2 and 3-3 haste creatures that Teferi sort of forced you to play because otherwise Teferi just bounces your 2 and 3 drop and you do nothing. So it might be worth another look. You know, it's interesting because... For example, I think a lot of Gruul lists in the past haven't run Lovestruck Beast. It just didn't fit properly into that curve. Whereas Lovestruck Beast could actually be a really solid Gruul card in this format because it's just good against aggro. And so if you're running Lovestruck Beast, that's, I mean, that's an excellent reason to be running the Innkeeper. So then you only need like some Rimrock Knights and yeah, some Shield Breakers. And I think that you could get to a place where where those innkeepers could actually be viable. So, ah, that's interesting. Something I think at least worth thinking about. But I think I would probably rather just be playing Mono Red than Gruul. I think it's the more consistent Embercleave deck, and I think that Embercleave is really one of the only reasons to run Gruul, because if you're not, if Embercleave isn't your main plan, then I think Mono Green is just the better aggro deck, in my opinion. It's a pretty strong deck. I It's... Yeah, it, it's kind of amazing how good 4-mana Vivian really can be. It feels better now than it was before to me. That's so good. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> She's going to be missed, man. When, when rotation happens, there's going to be some tears shed over Vivian. So let's talk about Saltai, because the Crokies, Danny, T-Law contingent has definitely been... They're like... Great, they keep banning Simic cards. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep building Simic decks. So I don't know, like, what are you thinking about these Saltai lists? Personally, it's just from a small sample size, but I was playing best of three adventures, teamer adventures on the ladder, and I did actually get wrecked by some of these Saltai decks. And, and granted, like, some of my draws weren't the best, and some of their draws were good, and it was a small sample size. But, I mean, I did lose to it, so... What do you think about Saltai and its place in the Mata game right now? There's also uh, Brad Nelson is doing work on the Saltai deck too and did a lot of talk about it on the Bash Bros podcast. So he, it, it's interesting that he and the bros have a very different take from what Crokies and Danny T-Law are doing. But they, they talk about the division of the deck as kind of, do you want to play Arboreal Grazer or do you want to play um, Thought Erasure? Right? Do you want to use your early game to attack the hand, or do you just want to try to ramp over the top as fast as possible? The version with the Grazer going to, for Nissa as quickly as possible, uh, it, it's definitely the, like, it reminds me of the Simic decks that did have Oko in the MC where Oko was 69% of the meta, because it really was just about curving out amazingly, hitting Nissa, getting there before the opponent. And they usually ramped into mass manipulation. 
and this deck just mostly focuses on hydrate crisis. And then the thought the thought erasure one is willing to take a slower line and just kind of try to mid-range grind you out, but it still ends at the Nissa Crasis location. And I think that the Nissa problem for Teamer Adventures is still one of the weak points. This card just is the last mana doubler left standing. And if you let the opponent untap with a Nissa who shakes the world, they can just do absurd things and overpower even your best value engines, like Clover. So I think that's where the deck sits in the meta, that Teamer Adventures was going over the top, and then this deck was like, we're going bigger than that. And it's going to be hard to go bigger than Nissa Krasis, I think. Maybe somebody's going to peer into the depths, one-shot kill, but I don't think so. Or peer into the abyss, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that deck's still floating around, and I'm I'm glad. It's it's fun. A few cards that are interesting, people are starting to embrace Llanowar Visionary. It works well with Jolrael, Monvuli yeah. Recluse. Just... A thought to that, I would not run the Visionary if I weren't running Jolrail. Yeah, Cultivate, people are noticing that getting two lands, if you draw two of those, is like saying, please kill me now. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you do nothing for too long. So even the 2-2 body from Visionary at least is a respectable play. It is, yeah. People are starting to, I think, understand the power of Teferi Master of Time with Uro. That was too dirtly before, and you could just be doing much better things. Uh, Grow Spiral pretty much let you skip right through that stuff. But now, because we might be here in the mid-game for more than two turns <laughs> before the end game hits, the idea of Teferi feeding Uro and finding Uro and sifting through what might be dead cards like Aethergust or Extinction Event is makes Master of Time really good. It also... It also messes with the Embercleave turn, and it's not bad against Vivian, who we, Vivian 4, who we were talking about. We can mess up her ability pretty bad with Teferi Master of Time. And then another unbanned card for this deck that's freaking sweet is Enter the God Eternals. That mm. got unbanned yeah. because Teferi would always bounce the token, or Witch's Oven would always sacrifice the target, and you'd never gain the life. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty yep. savage. Yep, so with those cards gone, Enter the God Eternals actually gaining you for life, actually making a 4-4 that the opponent might have to think about dealing with, and filling your graveyard for Uro is a really strong play. It is. So I was actually thinking about this and messing around with, it's probably not good, but I, I was playing this kind of team of mid-range deck, which had Joel Rail. I was running a couple of copies of um, the Royal Scions for some spice, and running some Teferi Master of Time. And I will say that, like, Turbo Oro is just a solid game plan. You know, I remember these decks in the previous meta that were the Simic Adventure decks that were basically just milling themselves, and it was like the Turbo Oro strategy. And those decks weren't tier one, but they weren't they were better than you thought they would be. And and it was just because Oro is a busted magic card. And so getting even one extra rebuy on Oro in a game of magic can be the difference between winning and losing. So that was actually one of the first places that I looked in this format was I was like, okay, the Joel Rail, Krasis, Nissa, Teferi, Master of Time little package right there is super strong. Jolrail Nissa is a beating. That is a total beating. 
And yeah, and then you get to play Oro. So you, you really do. You just get to play some of the strongest cards that are currently in the format. I don't know. I, I still would need to do work with that list to see what the best version of it was. Hot Flash, I don't think Teamer is it, but I think a straight Simic build could at least be a consideration. Soltai, boy, one of the big questions you need to answer to yourself playing in Soltai is, do you think that Casualties of War is well-placed in the format? Like, what do you think about Casualties in this meta? And I think that some people are looking at it and being like, this is a great card. It kills Lucky Clover. It kills Nyssa. It deals with a lot of these problem permanents that are actually seeing more of a resurgence in the format. Do you think Casualties of War is playable right now? If you're casting it as a three for one or better, it feels really good. But there's a lot of times where you're under pressure and you get to that point and you're basically playing a two for one, blowing up a land that may or may not matter, blowing up their best creature, but they have other creatures on the board. You're not actually cleaning things up. I'm not currently running Casualties of War in my deck. I have it in the sideboard. Casualties of War was really good against a meta that involved like a lot of cards like Trail of Crumbs and Fires of Invention that just hung out on the battlefield and caused problems across different permanent types. Now, probably the best example of that is a Lucky Clover that happens to be sitting around. Like my blue-white deck seems to walk into this pretty often too, where I have a uh, a Narset and a Elspeth Conquers Death and a Bertha Melitus Wall all hanging out on the battlefield, and something embarrassing comes at me with, for six mana. <laughs> so, but I mean, Casualties is not a bad card, but I don't think it solves the problem. For that Saltai currently has, it Saltai either needs to stay alive long enough to do its busted over-the-top thing, or it needs to go bigger than the opponent. Casualties of War stops, slows the opponent down, but it doesn't leave anything on the battlefield for them to deal with. And once you start going over the top, you really need to keep your opponent under pressure, because decks have access to so much card advantage and so many ways to rebuild their battlefield, that if you don't leave something on the battlefield for them to deal with, they're just going to play more things and they're going to have the tempo advantage on you again. So, I I mean, that's why I like Enter the God Eternals right now. It leaves a 4-4 that they have to think about dealing with. That's why Hydroid Crisis is really good. That's why Shark Typhoon is really good. You know, these cards just keep the opponent under pressure. And I think you have to. Have you... So... I mean, you've probably had this experience. I know the first time I played Sultai, I tried to play it like a control deck. You know, remove every threats, pace my things very carefully. I'll eventually win. And then I found out, oh, I like went through all of my threats, except I have maybe one or two more Hydroid Crisis, but I only have six cards in my yes. deck. Yes, yep, that's it. <laughs> that's the right? problem with Sultai. Yep. Right, so it's not a control deck. That's what I learned from that. You can't sit back and just be like, I'm just going to play one thing at a time into their Shatter the Sky and eventually they'll run out. They might not. You'll, you might run out of deck before they run out of ways to deal with you. You have to keep pressure on them. They have to respect that every turn you can pull way too far ahead if you are allowed to attack. Yeah, that acknowledgement is one of the reasons why we were seeing some of these Sultai decks play Questing Beast in the previous format, is that 
it was another threat. And not only was it a way to pressure your opponent's planeswalkers, but it was actually a way for the deck to freaking close out the game. So yeah, Sultai is definitely the archetype I have self-decked. I've lost the game the most by just self-decking. <laughs> and Me too, me too. In that exact situation, you know, you, you've got this sweet crisis in your hand and you're like, I can't cast this. This card is terrible right now. I, I mean, okay, I feel like this has always been a slight problem with the Sultai deck because I just, I feel like it has a bit of an identity issue. It's a deck that has often in recent standards kind of struggled to really identify its core game plan and it's been kind of a pile so it's gotten there you know you just play enough powerful cards you draw enough cards you do enough stuff and you can definitely get there but i'm i'm with you cgb i think that if you're gonna sleeve up one of these decks i think you need to like have a little conversation with yourself about what you're actually trying to do okay self what are we doing today (laughs) Self, we are going to play a game of magic, but self, talk to me, self. How are we going to play this game? No, you're right. Go on. Sorry. So it's one of the reasons I like these Joel Rail builds, because you need multiple ways to close out the game. And just like you said, if Joel Rail is a win condition, Aura is a win condition, Nis is a win condition, Krasis and Flying Sharks are a win condition. So if you take this core of your deck and you think, I am actually want to have some kind of a proactive plan, and then you build the rest of your deck around supporting that plan and denying your opponent's game plan, I think that that's a better way to think about Sultai than thinking that you're going to just make them discard half their cards and kill all their stuff and then eventually just like stick one threat and kill them. I, I think... Just like you were saying, I don't think that that is the right way to be approaching this deck right now. Yep. Not a control deck. Ramp deck. Not a control deck. You know, the problem with that plan is it just suffers too much from the modern magic problem of you dealt with all your opponent's stuff, they top decked a good card, and you still lost. All your opponent needs to do is in the mid game just like draw one Oro, and they just play that Oro, draw a card escape the aura they have a big threat and all that work that you did clearing out their hand is kind of largely gone so yeah i feel like i've seen this before has anybody played against this uro card it kind of does the same thing every game over and over (laughs) so okay i had this idea for this episode i feel like it's a good idea to periodically check in and just name some of the pillar cards in the format and and the question should be, if I'm not running one of these cards in my deck, why am I not? So I'll start off the list, and I'm sure you can help me fill it out. I definitely think Nyssa is top five. Top five cards in standard right now. Oro, also top five. Embercleave, definitely holding up a significant aggro part of the meta game. Some kind of aggressive green deck. So yeah, probably Vivian 4, I would say archetype defining card yeah mostly because of the mana cost i've I've also struggled with this because i i look at the cards i would name as broken and none of them are really the mono green yeah you know and then i'm like well should my mono green deck run nissa i've tried that i don't think it helped very much so yeah it's it's hard to pick a card from mono green quite frankly but maybe it's gem razor to be honest because that that is one of the bigger flexes is at least in best of one that you have answers in your main deck to enchantments and artifacts that don't punish you for playing them. So then Lucky Clover and Edgewell Innkeeper, you probably shouldn't play a deck that doesn't have both of those in it if you're going to do one of them, would, would be my assertion at the moment. 
I think there's a lot more Edgewall Innkeeper decks than there are Clover decks. That's that's going to be my proposition. Because when you think of the aggressive Gruel Adventure decks, and when you think of uh, the way that Black Green Adventures has been built, often without Clovers, I, I think that the Clover is... The Clover sends you in a direction that says, I'm taking turn two off to have tremendous value later that makes you play a long game. But Edgy can fit into a lot of styles. I totally agree with you. I think that I'm going to go out there on a limb and say that if you're not also clovering, you're probably not doing enough. Whether or not that's true, I guess will be borne out in the coming time. Like I know a classic deck that didn't really want to run clover was Selesnia Adventure. And I think that that's the deck that most doesn't want the clover. But in my opinion, if you're going to be innkeepering, I feel like you should be looking at Clover and figuring out how you maximize it. Because like even in Golgari, for example, Golgari Adventure, I still think that you get more from running Clover than you do from not running Clover. Now, it, I, I would agree with you that if like the Gruel Adventure deck is a good metagame call, then you could maybe see about not not running the Clover. That's probably the best one that might be playable at the moment to not run the Clover in. But yeah, I still stand by my statement that I think Innkeeper Clover decks are just going to have a much stronger chance of going over the top than non-Clover decks, and I don't think that the tempo advantage is worth it. So that's that's kind of my hot take on that. Okay, so then... Was there more on the list? Yeah, so let's keep going. I think Omnath is definitely a power level card. I know that you have done work with Teamer Elementals. Do you, do you not think that it deserves to be on the list? I don't think Omnath is close. Omnath is a powerful card, but only in the context of certain battlefields and situations. You actually, like, Omnath on its own is not a payoff or an enabler. Omnath, when you have exactly eight land, like seven lands and a Fable Passage you can put into play, is a pretty good payoff. But if you only did one damage when it came into play, it probably didn't matter. And you have eight lands, so the opponent's probably got a lot of land too, so they're going to do something busted besides draw two cards. Um, And if you play Omnath with a board full of elementals, you were way ahead and your opponent probably wasn't doing anything anyway. No. I I like the elemental deck, but the elemental deck is... It's a... How would I put it? It's a ramp deck that needs synergy to win. And the other ramp decks, like Bant, Sultai, or Simic don't need a specific synergy to win. They just play good cards. That's a good point. You get into these spots in the Team or Elementals deck where you resolve one or even two Genesis Ultimatums and you still lose the game. And I think that that can't be a thing for a tier one deck. Agree. You need to win. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. It does, yeah, the Elementals deck does feel a bit more like a synergy deck. And honestly, kind of like a combo deck sometimes. You're trying to go off with your combo, and if you don't get the hits in, then you kind of fizzle and it doesn't look that good. So yeah, so maybe Omnath, maybe Team Elementals doesn't deserve to be on the list. But I do think Omnath, to me, is kind of emblematic of the power level of of a card. I mean, that card has a lot of text on it, man. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. card has a lot of text on it. Another four mana card, which, you know, has a fair amount of text on it, is Winota. I don't know. I'm a little bit lower on Winota this week than I was when they announced the bands. Do you have any quick thoughts on how that deck's looking? 
Winona didn't get better the way that people thought it would because just because it wasn't touched, it sort of suffered the mono black problem of it was strong for meta and teamer reclamation wasn't doing a lot about its go wide in Winota strategy other than trying to counter the occasional Winota and Aethergust is still around. I I've been reminded a lot this week how much Winota whiffs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, yes. <laughs> like, I never felt it when I was... Because I could whiff four times, but if I still hit an Agent of Treachery, I, pro- I usually won anyway. Without Agent of Treachery, if your Winota whiffs three times and you get a Bastry's Lieutenant on the fourth, you're probably in a bad place. Yeah, because you just ran your tiny army into the opponent's creatures. They're going to kill a good amount of them. If they have a plus one, plus one counter, I guess the lieutenant can make a big difference. But I mean, for the like, I have either either it's bad luck or it's just one of the failings of the deck. Is that yeah, the thing you can just you can just get really burned by that deck. I still think that there's a good Winota out there. Crokies was working on a Jeskai version. It's it's always going to be a threat. I think it's a real acquired taste to put that much into your RNG gaming. You know, it's it's one of those things where I think that there's a lot of magic players. We don't sit down and say, let's play Winota all day. We, we, we play it for fun. And then we're like, okay, I experienced that. And then we're away from it. It's an acquired taste to sit down and spin the Winota wheel all day. And I think that that, I just think that that's going to hold it in check for a while in its own way. I don't know if Winota's tier one. I, I don't think I could put it at tier one yet. I think it's a tier one card, but I don't necessarily think it's a tier one deck. Like, I think the supporting cast just doesn't, it still doesn't feel quite there. I think it has the potential to definitely be one of the strongest cards in the format. I mean, it's it's so busted, right? It's so busted. But that Naya Winota deck in Historic, that was a deck, you know? Like, that was a supporting cast. That was, it had the ingredients it needed to be amazing. But we just, we don't see that in Standard, so... Just going to have to keep an eye on it. But it's one of those decks where... Actually, I would compare it to Teamer Adventure, where Adventure had been around forever, for a really long time. And it took a really long time to find the Teamer Adventure deck. And it took this kind of legendary, incredible diligence by Aaron Girdler to just play months and months and months of random Adventure decks that were somewhat okay before he finally stumbled upon the Magic One. So I kind of... Every time you say Gertler, we need like a transition. We need like a soundboard, you know, Aaron Gertler fanboy corner. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, baby. You know, you could play a drinking game on this podcast. You <laughs> Take a shot. Mono every green. Time. Yeah. Aaron mono Gertler. green. Aaron Gertler. But anyway, it took a long time to discover the optimal build is what I'm getting at. And I think that when it's possible, Winota could be a similar thing. Now, rotation might mess. It might mess with it. I don't know. We'll see. I actually don't know how much Winota loses with rotation. The more I think about it, like you still have a lot of the, a lot of the most important pieces that are currently decent in that deck. Uh, you lose raise the alarm and Lazatev Reaver. You, you okay. lose the that's ways true. to make two dudes for two mana that can activate Winota. Like yeah, that's a good that's, point. That's ouch. And the Aquaria one makes one human, so that one's not very good. It's in trouble. Also, Bassery's Lieutenant really did rely on Venerated Loxodon to have counters on a bunch of things to be that's, the force that it that's was, a good and point. Loxodon yep. is leaving. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be rough. So who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe Winota will never quite get there and will be worse post-rotation, but um, definitely Paw a strong Paw Blade. Card. Paw Blade. 
<laughs> Paw Blade. Paw Blade. Paw freaking Blade, man. man. Talk about a flash in the pan. You know what? Doggos had that brief fun in the sun. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll call that one a win. The, the last card on the list that I'm thinking about, and you may have some other thoughts here, but the last card I'm thinking about, which can be an engine card and a total house, is Yorian. I don't think Yorian decks a tier one right now, but that's another like tier one power level of card. I don't yeah. know if you have any additional thoughts there. Somewhere in between like the Yorian and Doom Foretold is like the um it's the tortoise of engines. It takes them a long <laughs> yeah. time to get going. And then when they get going, the opponent's just like, Oh, this sucks, you know. It's- <laughs> It's like, well, you should have killed me sooner. Or that's it. That's, that's one of those decks where you really have to ask yourself whether you want to see them kill you or whether you want to just move on. But yeah, I I think that there's I think that they're doing too little to affect battlefields, and I think that those decks are a lot worse. Honestly, the more that people are going over the top with Nissa shenanigans, like the Sultai deck does, so. Maybe, I don't know. And Ugin is like such a predator to those decks. And not many not many decks are playing Ugin. But the fact that at any point that could happen definitely puts a limit on how good a Yorian deck can be. A Doom Foretold deck is interesting. Because at least with Doom Foretold, you can eat their Nissa if they don't have something else on the battlefield. But I don't know if... I, I've spent a lot of time playing Doom Foretold and watching the opponent sack their Grazer while their Nissa queues up and hits me for six and casts another giant crisis and brings back an uro and i'm looking at my doom foretold like you know uh also doom foretold is straight up embarrassing against brazen borrower out of any deck especially the adventure deck oh yeah and i mean you also have these games where you're looking at your kaya's wrath and your mono red opponent is just braining you and you either can't afford your Kaya's Wrath or you just don't get there. And then you're like, play my Doom Foretold against your Mono Red deck, and that's just a total joke. So Yep. Good game. So I I, I want Yorian. I, I want the blinking effects to be good, but I think that it really did like it lost out on something more than I think people realize with Teferi, because Teferi kept the Yorian from getting killed went so that you could blink the loop right so that you could run your loops um you just couldn't interact with the card while the loop was going around if you thought they had interaction you just didn't blink your teferi you blinked your charming prince you got two loops and then your yorian was safe during their turn they had to kill your teferi or they couldn't touch it and now it's like i've played against plenty of yorian decks i try to keep the board clear they play the yorian to try to get their value i kill their yorian and then they proceed to draw a bunch of rats and junk, <laughs> and it's and it's it's fine, you know. I'm gonna play this crisis, and away we go. Back to back to winning. Back to being the alpha. Yep, yep. Okay, so final final question here. I know that you've played against a bunch of Simic Flash decks. I have as well. What are your opinions? How how good do you think this deck is currently? It's always going to make people think it's really good when you go up against their good draws. But man, are their bad draws bad. (laughs) Like, you don't even realize they were a flash deck, because on turn three, they're already, like, scrambling, trying to figure out a block with a Paradise Druid and how to get an Ambusher in play that will actually live. I I, I think that... I, I still don't... 
I think Simic Flash is an interesting meta to- choice, but I don't think it's even roaming near tier one. Not even close, in my opinion. But uh, I-, I think adventure decks play really well against it because they just they can't counter everything. They just can't deal with it all. I turn one Edgewall Innkeeper against Simic Flash? Are you kidding? So let, let me tell you, I got to live the dream, CGB. I was in a game three of a, of a best of three encounter, and I got to go turn one Edgewall Innkeeper, turn two Edgewall Innkeeper. And then at some point later in the game, I actually resolved another Edgewall Innkeeper. And yeah, my, my opponent did not win that game. <laughs> There's, there's just no Stunning. way to keep up. No way to keep up. So yeah, I would recommend anyone out there not to play this deck unless A, you already have the cards crafted and B, you enjoy playing it. But otherwise, I would not bother. I think there would be a time, right? It, it would be right after everybody prays Sultai or some other expensive tap-out deck as the best deck in the format. That's the time that you grab your Simic list. Yeah. I, I think that there's still conjecture as to what the best list is as well. I've seen some pretty heinous stuff. So, Oh, oh no, I, I've got time for heinous Simic Flash decisions. <laughs> like what? Give me, a, give me something. Give All me right. a taste. All right, if you're playing... This is, my, this is my hot take. If you're playing Gilded Goose in your Simic Flash deck, you're <gasps> doing it wrong. That was my deck! <laughs> yeah, Gilded Goose... Come on. Are you, are you gonna are you gonna tell me that on. goose are you gonna tell me that goose into lofty denial is good? <laughs> it's not unflayable, but <laughs> it's not I it's not really what you run it for though uh, either. It's like uh, whatever. I'm not gonna argue about it. I don't think you're I don't think you're doing it wrong playing it that way. I think it's a decision. I you, you like Paradise Druid better? I mean how no. how do you manage this? So this is this is my problem, right? I think running mana docks in this deck is just a bad idea, and I think you can't really run the deck without them. So no, that's why yeah. that's why I think the deck's bad. It's the only option. Like the only good draws this deck has is when it plays ambusher before it's supposed to. Yeah. So it, it has a real growth spiral problem in that it doesn't have that card anymore. And so that's that's really my hot take. Is like you can't be mana docks with a draw go game plan. The, the two just don't mix. You know what I mean? There's no such thing as a draw go game plan. Yeah. No, it's over. Like that. I'm, I'm serious. Like magic players should remove that from their vocabulary. That's why this deck isn't good right now, in my opinion. Like growth spiral was the reason that draw go was kind of okay. Was that you could just get to these powerful cards quickly. That was how that you regained the tempo that you lost by playing a draw go plan. So yeah, mana docks and counter spells, not not a good combination in my opinion. Yeah, Simic Flash is a Simic ramp deck that stops before it ramp before it ramps too much. It wants to <laughs> ramp exactly once, and then it wants to get a threat down while you're ramping, yeah. and then it counters the thing you ramp to. Like that's where it's good. That's that's exactly where it's good. And uh, like uh, Demir Flash, if anybody wants to bring that up, that's a beatdown deck that happens to play cards on the opponent's turn. That's all it is. Like, like, like it's not a complicated control strategy. Like I said, uh, the idea of draw go is is long gone. Yeah, and I, I don't, I really have no idea how good Demir Flash is or not. But I at least like that game plan a bit better. Like, I like the idea that you're more likely to be playing a threat 
rather than a counter spell on your opponent's turn, but that they have to respect that you could have a counter spell. So I think that that at least leads to these kind of interesting. Uh, I forget what the term is. Like it's it's like counter counter aggro where you have these these aggro decks that want to play threats and then play counter spells to protect them. I think it's an exciting game plan and it can look pretty good. So anyway. All right, well, I think that's enough for Standard today. I definitely wanted to get to Historic before the end of the episode because there's just such juicy stuff to talk about with this Amonkhet remaster. Let's just take like a big overview of Amonkhet for people who aren't familiar with this set. This set rotated out of Standard like pretty soon before Arena was released, right? I feel like this is like one of the last Standard sets that didn't make it into Arena. This set was in Arena Enclosed Beta. Okay. If you were, That's right. if you were one of the few, the proud, the early adopters of the platform, you, you have played with Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation in Arena. But um, yeah, it was one of the last sets. I know Hour of Devastation came out like the summer before Arena launched Alpha in September. So like a few months before the Alpha launched. So let's talk about some of the core mechanics of this set. This set had cycling, I believe. Never heard of it. And never, yeah, who, who does that, right? Who cycles? And then it also had similar to escape mechanic, but it was a bit different. It had the eternal, eternalize? Is that what it was called? Eternalize and embalm. Oh, embalm, that's right. Okay, yeah. yeah. So two, two different graveyard mechanics. So Eternalize would bring back a creature from the graveyard as a 4-4. Four, four. They were always 4-4s, four, right? Yep. And but it would other than it would basically just make a token. It would be a white zombie token, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you'd exile a card from your graveyard and then you'd get a token that was a copy of it but it was a 4-4. Four, four. So that was kind of interesting. And then Embalm would actually bring the card back from your graveyard with a plus one plus one counter is that right no 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 power toughness change it it created a white zombie token that was a copy of the creature okay so embalm was basically the same but it but it em, wasn't yeah, a it, em, embalm was basically playing the same creature again but it had the same stats and it was a white zombie token you exiled the actual creature from your graveyard okay yeah. sounds good so those it, from my memory were kind of the core mechanics from the set Oh, exert was the other core mechanics. Oh, exert. Yeah. That's right. So you would attack with a creature, and if it had an exert ability, you would choose not to untap it during the next untap step, but you would get some effect like a spell. Right. So exert didn't make that big of a splash on standard, except for some of the mono red cards were really strong. So Glorybringer as a classic example, probably overall the strongest card from Amonkhet, arguably. And uh, mm-hmm. this was a 4-4 four, four haste dragon for 3-2 red, so 5 mana. And you could exert it when it ETB, or when, yeah, you could just exert it, I guess, to have it deal 4 damage to a creature. I just want to say that Amonkhet Remastered is going to be... Like, there is a focus on making it limited playable. And this, if you see this card, Glorybringer, that we're discussing in limited, you should play it. Yes. Glorybringer is the dream trawler of Amonkhet. It's a rare card that probably should have been mythic. Typically lose to when your opponent resolves it. So uh, one, one of my finest hours in my local draft scene was ending up with a mono red draft deck that had 
two copies of Glorybringer in it, that was a good time. And those those weren't even the only two copies of Glorybringer that were opened in that draft either. I actually played against the Glorybringer and got to experience my opponent actually unfortunately got to experience the non-dragon claws on Glorybringer, which lost in the game, which was very satisfying for me. <laughs> Epic brain moment. You gotta read your cards, man. You just you gotta <laughs> read your cards. So let's talk about some of the other key so it, it, it's i don't know i have opinions on this set for limited basically my hot take for limited is i don't think it's a particularly great limited format i am not excited to go through it again but it does have some interesting implications for the historic metagame so another thing which we haven't brought up yet is that okay so there was some data mining that happened and people actually looked were able to dig up from the recent Arena update code the card list from the Amoncat remaster. And what they discovered, scraping this data, was that there was actually this list of, I think you said it was 14 cards, CGB? 14 cards that are being included in Amoncat remastered that were not actually in Amoncat or Hour of Devastation. Basically, cards that, like the anthologies, are going to be shipped directly into Historic. And there was some alluding to this. If you read this, I think it was the state of the game from last week. They did say something about, like, I, I read the sentence like three times on on stream because I was like, what are they saying? And I said, chat, I think what they're saying is that there's going to be some cards in this that weren't actually in those sets. And now we seem to have confirmation that that not confirmation, to be clear. We do not have confirmation, but we seem to have some uh, data mining evidence that these cards are coming to Historic, and they they are not... I mean, I thought the Historic Anthologies typically had one or two cards that really shook. You know what I mean? This is a list of 14... How did you put it? Bangers. These... Uh, like some of the bangerest bangers that will have ever appeared in Arena. That will have ever banged. This is Magic the Banging over here. All right, so I'm just going to read off these cards. And for those of you who actually know what these cards do, you can kind of quake in your seats. So the cards are Demonic Pact, Hornet Queen, Jace, Unraveler of Secrets, Chandra, Pyromaster, Sphinx's Revelation, <laughs> I just quaked. Yeah, <laughs> CGB just had a you jolt up me. the spine. Oh, you got me. I'm sure this card's going to catch your attention too. Wrath of God. What was the last set that Wrath of God was printed in? I mean, this is serious boomer magic, dude. Serious. Boom, the boomerest boomer magic. The most, the, the original. Why do they call these spells Wraths? It's because of this card. Thoughtseize, Pact of Negation. Shatterstorm, Rest in Peace, Modern Sideboard All-Star, Rest in Peace, Anger of the Gods, Collected Company. Uh, I'm going to let that one sink in for anyone who actually knows what that card is. Perilous Vault and Lord of Extinction. So these are probably, if these cards do end up hitting Historic, they are definitely going to be some of the strongest cards in Historic and... I don't know. The, the only explanation as to why these cards wouldn't end up in Historic, given the data mining, is if maybe they're bringing them in for some other special event. But mm, I feel like it's true. likely that these cards are going to actually end up in Historic. 
Yeah. So, what does that do to things? Are, are we? Do you want to? Do you want to just hit the list, or are, did you want to hit some highlights? Yeah, I don't think I have something to say about every single card on this list, but there are definitely some, definitely some doozies. Let's start at the top here with Demonic Pact. Now, this is one of the most fun magic cards I think that has ever been printed. It is beloved. There are just packed players out there all over the place. So CGB, why don't you go ahead and read this card off for us? Demonic Pact, two black black enchantment that is mythic. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one that hasn't been chosen. First is Demonic Pact deals four damage to target creature or player, and you gain four life. Second is target opponent discards two cards. Third is draw two cards. And fourth is you lose the game. If you just look at it on what this card does on its own, it's four mana to deal four damage to target creature or player and gain four life, and the opponent discards two cards, and you draw two cards over the course of three turns. But for four mana, that that rate is crazy good. The problem is, on that fourth turn, you lose the game. So all that value that you accumulated, it, it better carry you to victory or it's over. So... What do you think this... What what do you have to pair with this card? Do you already know the trick with this card? Because I do. Yeah, I mean, we're probably looking at Doom Foretold. Another thing you could do is Discontinuity. And a third thing that you can do is gift it to your opponent um, when you've already used the first three so that they end up losing the game. But do we have any gift effects in Historic at the moment? I believe Role Reversal is... Okay. A- card that's even standard legal at the moment let me read that one really quick roll reversal blue blue red exchange control of two permanents that share a permanent type if the opponent has an enchantment you can give them the demonic pact another thing that occurred to me is that i wonder if one of the the many things fueling the teferi ban in historic was that they were expecting demonic pact to be in the format because let me tell you teferi and demonic pact is pretty sweet as well it is sweet, but let me say, you still haven't named the one that I would name. Okay, so what what's the wombo combo for you? Yorian. Oh, there you go. Yep, Yorian is is another you reason get to, to play reason. this card. Yep, every time you blink this with Yorian, it resets. You get to name the things again. <laughs> you restart <laughs> the countdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that it's nasty. Uh, and Yorian demonic pack decks have already shown up in. I believe it's Pioneer and Modern. Wow, so okay. It's it's very legit. Yeah, this this card's powerful, y'all. It might not read immediately as like a, a busted card, but yeah, the fact that this card has, you know, won matches in older formats should tell you something about how good this card is. So definitely keep an eye on that one. It's going to be a lot of fun in the very least. Uh, let's keep moving on here. So next card is Hornet Queen. This one is a cube all-star, cube favorite Hornet Queen. So I'll read this one for you. Four green, 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 creature insect, two-two. All right, so a two-two for seven. Surely there's more text on this card. So uh, flying death touch, and when Hornet Queen enters the battlefield, create four one-one green insect creature tokens with flying and death touch. So this is the kind of card that you're probably trying to like cheat out or... I don't know, maybe reanimate or just figure out some way of getting this onto the battlefield as quickly as you can. But um, this card ends games, man. This card ends games quickly. 
Yeah, this card was really popular in standard with a, a deck called Sidisi Whip. Sidisi would mill you, and then Whip of Erebos would bring it back from the graveyard for one turn, but you'd keep the 4-1-1 Death Touch creatures. I do wonder if making 4-1-1 Death Touch, like, that's a lot of value, but it's not a ton of pressure, and I do wonder if that's what standard is about. But as far as cheating it into play, a card that is in the Amonkhet Remastered set that I am looking at every card from now on with an eye on is God Pharaoh's Gift. Oh, now, yes. Oh, I don't, yes. Yeah, this is a seven mana artifact that at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard if you do create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 4-4 zombie. It gains haste until end of turn. So similar to like Offspring's Revenge, but with any creature in your graveyard, and you say that's a seven mana artifact, that's kind of lame. Well, there's another card that is that you have to remember is in the set called Gate to the Afterlife. And Gate to the Afterlife, I know it's a lot of text, but these cards come together in an amazing way. This is a three mana artifact, and whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you gain a life, and then you may draw a card and discard a card. So it's drawing cards and discarding cards and gaining life to keep you alive. Now, once you have... How many creatures is it? Let's see. It says, Sacrifice Gate to the Afterlife. Search your graveyard hand or library for God Pharaoh's Gift and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. You can only do this if you have six or more creature cards in your graveyard. So you need looting. You need things to sacrifice. But if you fill your graveyard up, then you can gate to the afterlife and go get God Pharaoh's gift wherever it is. And then you immediately get something out of the graveyard. If you get the Hornet Queen and make four one one freaking death touches, you're going to stabilize really well. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's the thing to remember about this card is this card basically single-handedly stabilizes you against anything except like Ember Cleave or like an already massive army of zombies. So who knows whether it'll be tier one, but definitely very good. Yeah, how about this? If you make the 1-1 Death Touch and your opponent doesn't attack you, next turn get back a Crater Hoof Behemoth and just win. There you go. Yep, <laughs> yep. What, definitely two cards that probably want to be in the same deck together. So <laughs> so very good. Look at look out for this card. I think it's pretty sweet. Are you interested in talking about either of these Planeswalkers? Because they're not... I think they're both outclassed by current standards. Okay, all right. I'm going to have you read this next one because you clearly love the card so much. What do you think about Sphinx's Revelation? Sphinx's Revelation. X. White, blue, blue. Instant. You gain X life, and you draw X cards. This is like every control mage's wet dream right here. Oh, yeah. Why would I win the game if I can just gain more life so that you can't beat me and draw cards? What... What else do we need? This this card might actually get me to play Clear the Mind. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I, I already don't want to be playing against whatever deck this is you're talking about. Oh, I don't need to win. I just need you to get bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this card has done a lot of work for a lot of control mages everywhere. I don't know if Historic... I don't know if Modern Magic and Historic is the place to bring back Draw Go. We said it was dead in Standard. I think that mostly goes for Historic, too. I actually think there's a chance this card will uh, be a bit of a dud now, to be honest. But it's not going to stop Blue-White Mages from trying, because this this, this card 
while it was in standard, was such a huge part of our, of just our weekly magic experience. Just taking as much time as we possibly could to draw as many cards as we could and gain as much life as we could and then shuffle it all back in with Elixir of Immortality and do it again. <laughs> so let me ask you this, CGB. What does X have to equal for you to be happy that you cast this? Oh, I'm... I. I <laughs> first of all, if I'm not dead, then one is a good start. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. All but right. no, I mean, I've cast a lot of Sphinx's Revs for one. Uh, usually two or three is where you start feeling like you're pulling ahead. Anytime you cast this for four or more, and like you're probably winning the game. So like, if this card said like six mana instant, you gain three life and draw three cards. Would that be playable in your average blue-white control deck? Maybe. It depends on the format. The The thing about that the card you just described is that its floor is really, really low, because if you never draw your six mana, it does literally nothing in your hand. And the ceiling is capped. Like, the best it can do is get three. The Sphinx's Rev floor is if you have four mana, you gain one life and draw a card, and that's not good. Um, but... It scales with the length you can make the game take, and on its own, without any other considerations, it makes the game take longer and gives you more options to keep the game going. So it is a one-card engine, so to speak. Yeah, and I I think that the flexibility, like you said, is really the selling point on this card. So this card is kind of like, um, this is like Hydroid Crisis for the Boomers, is basically what this card is. It sure is. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah keep your eye on that one for sure all right let's talk about wrath of god this one's an oldie but a goodie and it's very simple it is a sorcery it costs two white white and it says destroy all creatures they can't be regenerated by the way oh they can't be regenerated yeah so if boomers that... remember what bury all creatures <laughs> now i actually think there are a couple of cards on arena in historic that maybe do have regenerate on them so i guess it's not entirely dead text i mean this is just the og kill all creatures card and it's a good one too i mean they've actually they've kind of shied away from printing this card in standard for a long time and i think it's because they thought it was a bit too powerful for standard so we've had all of these kind of gimpy versions, like Shatter the Sky currently lets your opponent draw a card sometimes. Kaya's Wrath has a terrible mana cost. Other ones will cost five mana and have like a small upside for you. But it's been a really long time since, or like Languish is a four mana Wrath, but it's only minus four, minus four. So it's been a really long time, I think, since we've had just like a four mana unconditional Wrath with, with basically no downside. So it's just, it's, I don't know, like that card plus Sphinx's Rev entering the format may, may make blue-white control a little bit more playable. And in the very least, it's just like a solid sideboard option you're going to see. I mean, you're going to see Wrath of God all over the place, so. Yeah, not a bad card, but it doesn't really change what any of these decks could do. Like if they needed Wraths, they they had to make concessions to play them. Now they make less concessions, but I still don't know if that's going to save us. Sure, sure. But worth noting. All right, let's talk about Thoughtseize. So CGB, read us the card. Thoughtseize. I believe it says pay to life, look at target player's hand, uh, choose a non-land card from it, that player discards it. So, and it is a sorcery for one black mana. For one black, yep. Take two, make them discard any card. 
Think of this card as like duress, except it can hit any non-land card. And that key difference is everything with this card. So this card is so good. I mean, this card definitely sees play in what? In modern? Does, yeah. it, does it see play in older formats than that? Pioneer. Yeah. Uh, it. I mean, I'm sure it sees play in all formats. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what vintage is about, so it's hard for me to talk about, but I knew it was a legacy card. Right. Yeah, so, one of the all-time greats. This card is just one of the best discard spells ever printed. Again, basically too powerful for standard. They haven't printed it into standard in a very long time. So, yeah, mages everywhere should pay attention to this card. One of the key aspects of this card, which you might not realize, is that it's as playable in aggro as it is in control. So look out for that. If you think that this card is just going to be going into your deadly Sultai deck or whatever, your, your black aggro opponent is going to wreck you with Thoughtseize. So this has been one of the linchpins of the, of the mono black aggro deck in Pioneer, for example. One of the reasons that deck's actually playable. So yeah, Thoughtseize is just a beating. It's actually better in aggro because the two life isn't really a cost if you're the beatdown. Uh, yeah, so uh, this card, I think, is really important to add to Historic, because Historic has been a format so far where there are almost no good answers, and the person who curves out better wins, and that doesn't feel like proper magic to a lot of people, and Thoughtseize messes that up, you know, if if their hand is built around one or two key cards, and they were just going to cast that on curve, and there was nothing the opponent could do, because everything creates value, and everything's redundant, well, Thoughtseize takes the key piece, you know, that, that I think that's a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. If you've ever had your opponent Dreadhod Arcanist to get Thoughtseize back from the graveyard and hit you with it again, that's one of the Mercy. one of the great feel bads of the game so <laughs> who knows whether it'll be good and historic but yep it's this just all around incredible solid card cgb why don't you read pact of negation for us <sighs> pact of negation is a zero mana instant and it says counter target spell at the beginning of your next upkeep you may pay three blue blue if you don't you lose the game Oh, Nelly. What a card. I, I, okay. I don't like zero mana instance being in arena. Yeah. I'm going to go, like, where's my soapbox? Hold on. Frickin' hold, like, the only good way to play competitive historic if this card is literally introduced to the set is to, for, for any player to hold down full control at all times. Because you always need to be bluffing this, or it's going to be really obvious that you have it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate it. I hate that. I think that zero mana cards like this, I think that if this is in fact being introduced, it's to stop combo kills and try to check those. And I say just get rid of any combo that's that dangerous, which is what they've kind of been doing already you know they banned wilderness reclamation they banned winota like just just don't do this i I, i'm honestly pretty upset about this yeah no good will come from this card being in the format in my opinion it's just like if if any of you listening have not had the experience of playing against a free counter spell it's just gnarly like it does things to your head right and 
in all the formats people are used to it by now, like in modern and back formats, A of all, they're so fast that you basically need cards like this to keep them in check. But I don't think Historic is fast enough or necessarily powerful enough to need a card like Pact of Negation, so I'm a little bit curious as to why they even decided to put it in here. The fact that it's here is worrying to me. It just makes me think, like, what else is coming to Historic? Yeah, and this is, like, Phyrexian mana, cards like Force of Will. Like, if all that is on Arena someday and you can go play Vintage on Arena, great. But... Like, why do we have to start porting in these zero mana instants now? I just, I hate it. Yeah. And and heads up, people, if Eminent Blue Mage CGB has a problem with Pact of Negation, you know this card's pretty busted. So <laughs> hmm. just, just keep an eye out for it. Let's talk about Rest in Peace, because this card is just... A modern staple. So I'll read this one off. Rest in peace. One on a white enchantment. When rest in peace enters the battlefield, exile all cards from all graveyards. If a card or token would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So this card is somewhat similar to Leyline of the Void, but it is very cheap, and it's just one of the best graveyard hate cards of all time. So one of the reasons this card is so good is that when it comes out, it exiles cards. So if an opponent removes it after that, you still got the value out of it. And if they don't remove it, then for the rest of the game, graveyard synergies are turned off. So anyway, this card is just like, like if you play modern and you have white in your deck, this card is like a two of in your sideboard, guaranteed. I don't know, any yeah. anything to add there? I think it's in Historic because they don't want to suspend or ban Underworld Breach or Kethys in Historic. Mm, I think okay. that's why it's here. Yeah, that's a good call. And probably another reason they banned Teferi as well, because Teferi being able to bounce this and enable a combo is pretty annoying. It sure is. I mean, that's you. It, it's funny. Like, dude, they got rid of Teferi. We're still looking at cards and being like, yeah, so this card and Teferi, but that's why they banned it. <laughs> you know, normally they ban it and we're all like, okay, we can play these cards, but no, we're still scarred. We're still doing yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, literally, I'm still like like in fetal position okay. in the corner being like, please no, please no. It's okay, Arjuna, let it go. <laughs> you, we can heal. We can heal. We can, let we it can go. move on. We can move let on. Let it go, this. Arjuna. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> so uh, the next card I want to talk about here, it, Anger of the Gods is a very good card, but it's it's a Wrath. One red red, deals three damage to all creatures. They get exiled. I think we can kind of move on. Kind of redundant. The exile uh, ability is nice, but Sweltering Suns is actually in uh, yes. Amonkhet, which is a cycling three mana, three damage to all things for the same cost. And cycling on a Wrath is... Really important because in matchups where wraths are bad is where creatures don't matter and being able to cycle it's good. So it's kind of odd that we get Anger of the Gods and Sweltering Suns. I would agree. Yep, I would agree with that. A cycling Clarion is a very good card. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very good card. But you know what else is a really good card is this next card, CGB, which I want for you to read for us. Oh, Nelly, is this a doozy? 
Collected Company 3 and a green instant look at the top six cards of your library like a Winota. <laughs> Put up to two creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. What are we doing with Collected Company in Historic? I mean, I wonder if this is the card that's going to make Spirits playable. Spirits? Yep. Wow. Bent Spirits. I mean, I, it's not impossible. I I still think that I, I I is am I crazy? I don't know if collected company is that good in historic. It it seems like it's might be too fast. I mean, I I think you're right. I think that things have come a long way since this card was printed and so I don't think it's necessarily like the terror that it used to be. You might be able to compare it to something like Siege Rhino which was in the same block which was, you know, a lot better then than it perhaps is now. We're missing, I think, a lot of the payoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, for example, if they included Spell Queller in this list, we would be in business. Because having your opponent Coco into Spell Queller with your spell on the stack is pretty gnarly. I forgot what set Spell Queller was from. That was from uh, one of the Innistrad shadows no yeah the one after shadows then that's probably next year that we get spell queller right yeah and i i do have to imagine that spell queller is coming to historic so we may see some kind of bent tempo you know bent coco deck coming along i'm having these flashbacks of people casting collected company on their opponent's turn and hitting a reflector mage and a spell queller and that was pretty sweet in response to a spell, of course. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so basically a three for one. But, I mean, there are just so many good cards that you can hit with this. You can hit a Thalia. You can hit a Meddling Mage. I mean, it's just like the list goes on and on and on. Uh, you could even hit something like a Containment Priest, right? So, I don't know. So, I think, I, I don't think, I think that the Bant Collected Company and the Flash Spirits decks that you're thinking of when you see this card i think that those aren't ready for historic i think there's still several cards away but i think is ready is something along the lines of a rally the ancestors sacrifice combo deck Hmm, because think about think about the three drops you can hit with collected company from a sacrifice deck mayhem devil judith woe strider midnight reaper you know just just to warm up stuff that's like currently in standard right yeah I mean, like you're not wrong. That's a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a huge payoff. That is basically when collected company is good is when you're cheating on mana. When you spend four mana for two two twos, it's a little card advantage, but it's not busted. When you spend four mana for two three drops that have great synergy together, like imagine you have a cat and oven, and you cast collected company, and you hit two devils at instant speed. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly. <laughs> Yeah, it also that, just, that I think is where it's busted. So cards like this can make playing a control deck very difficult because you know, like your aggro kind of your aggro creaturey tempo opponent can leave this card up, and then like you can wrath the board, and they can just recharge. So there are some really hidden benefits to running a card like this. It just gives you so many options. It lets you play around so many things. It also lets you play kind of a toolboxy deck so for example you can play cards like deputy of detention with the hope that you're going to hit them off of collected company Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just 
this is another one of those cards that it needs a good shell around it, but it, it is it is a good, good card. All right, my friend. Well, I think that wraps up for me anyway, the cards on this list I wanted to get at. So are there any other specific cards from the Amonkhet set that we really want to touch on? Um, the ones that came to my mind were some of the gods. Hazaret is a very strong card. Mono red is good. Red from Amonkhet is freaking nuts. Yeah. That's that's what you need to know. <laughs> yeah. There was this red, mono red standard deck, which was leaning pretty heavily on Amonkhet, and Hazaret the Fervent was one of the main reasons. I'll read this card real quick. Three and a red, legendary creature god, five for indestructible, haste. Hazaret the Fervent can't attack or block unless you have one or fewer cards in hand, and you can pay two and a red as many times as you want for this effect. Two and a red, discard a card. Hazaret deals two damage to each opponent. So aggro deck finisher, sticky threat, um, something that can even burn your opponent out. I mean, Hazaret just ended up doing an incredible amount of work and is a very, very, very strong card. Yeah, it probably fits if sort of where Torbrand does. I, yeah. I don't... I honestly... I'm not sure. I mean, red, red kind of has too many options at the rate that we're going, so I'm curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, is this card better than Embercleave? I'm not sure, but, you know... Good could, question. I, it's definitely. I, I think it's safe to say it's going to be in the sideboard of a lot of red decks, even if it's not a main main deck thing. I don't know. I just had kind of a vision of instead of that spear, Hazret holding a big mythic sword. I mean, what's better than the two of them hanging out together? I, I don't disagree with you. So, tell you what, what's going to make you shook here is Earthshaker Kenra, one and a red. Creature Jackal Warrior 2-1 Haste. When Earthshaker Kenra enters the battlefield, target creature with power less than or equal to Earthshaker Kenra's power can't block this turn. And this card has Eternalize for 4 red red, which means you can get it back later in the game and do it all over again. So, yeah, this card was definitely a house in these red aggressive decks. Just the combination of having a 2-1 Haste and also making your opponent not being able to block and also having it come back as a 4-4 Haste that, again, can't be blocked for a turn is just very, very strong. Yeah, this this card's absolutely whack. It's it's a bit better than Robber of the Rich. Yes. Quite a bit, I'd say. And that, you know, it's funny now. We saw Robber of the Rich and we're like, eh, this isn't that bad. And it's, I think we had PTSD from Earthshaker, Kenra, and the Wizards and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. That could end up being a player in red and gruel aggro. I mean, really any red aggro deck, to be honest. It's a very good card. How about a card which I'm sure you would enjoy playing with CGB, the Scarab Guard? Do you want to read this one for us? Three blue, black, five, five, legendary creature god, the Scarab God. At the beginning of your upkeep, here, okay, let me just clear this up. There is a lot of text on this card. Not much of it is important. Yes. <laughs> it should just say you win. Um, but anyway, at the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses X life and you scry X, or X is the number of zombies you control. Two blue and a black. XL target creature card from a graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of it, except it's also a 4-4 black zombie. When the Scarab God dies, return it to the owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So it comes back, unless you get it exiled, a lot. And it turns things in the graveyard into your own personal army. This is one of the ultimate 
if I untap with this, I win cards in the history of Standard. Yeah. Yeah. And it should tell you something about Standard for a while that this card actually wasn't very good. Uh, it was just a bit, <laughs> it was a bit too slow. I don't think it would be very good now. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not good enough. As, I mean, is this card better than Kenrith, right? I, yeah, a little. I, I think you'd run like, so picture in current standard, you'd throw this in your Sultai deck as a one or a two of, and you would use it to exile your opponent's Uro, right? Yeah, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> It'd be so gross. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, anyway, the Scarab God is a very good card, and I will say that, that that kind of stickiness of not being able to kill it is a real problem. And also the fact that you can use its ability as many times as you want. So if you have eight mana, which in a deck that runs this, you're going to end up with that. You can actually do this twice. Uh, you can also do it at instant speed, so you can block with those things. You can do it at the end of your opponent's turn, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, Scarab God is a house. This plus mana equal wee. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I don't know. Is, is there anything else in this remaster that's really jumping out to you, CGB? Uh, I'm approach of the second sun is a card that people are going to mention a lot as oh, one of the yeah. absolute banes of casual magic players as it basically when you cast it for seven mana you gain seven life and it go it's a sorcery it gets put back in the deck seven from the top so seven turns later you're going to draw it again when you cast it for the second time you win the game just the end done done and that is fun for control mages or uninteractive combo mages just trying to ignore the opponent completely uh i i think it's mostly a trap though in current like people are going to do this especially in casual and some mad lads in ranked but i think it's mostly a trap in modern magic right now because it it just sounds almost like like seven mana to do nothing to the board especially the way that magic has progressed just doesn't sound reasonable yeah our seven mana spells only usually have to be cast once to win the game these days so (laughs) there you go there you go (laughs) yeah but i don't know i you know you know where my mind's going with this card is emergent ultimatum boom (laughs) emergent ultimatum that's the one that lets you fetch up three and your opponent decides two that you get to cast so you but they have to be different cards yeah so it would get approach once right okay right sure but then but then you have two other cards right so in your in your kind of weird control combo deck your opponent gets to decide you know because then if you cast your i don't know anyway into the jank tank (laughs) (laughs) straight there does this work with the double what is it double there's that new card that's oh. like double I, I call it double dragon and it's it's five mana enchantment and it copies the spell. So that's an interesting one because I suppose if the copy goes on the stack first, if you get to order the triggers, you probably do win, right? Because it has to be the one you cast from your hand. So whichever one you copy just has to resolve first. If approach of the second sun was cast from your hand and you've cast another spell. So maybe copying the spell doesn't mean you cast the spell. Yeah. Judge. We that's, need a judge. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it will be attempted. It will. And uh, yeah, this card's fun, man. I'm, I'm stoked to have it around, whether or not it ends up being good. Okay, so 
I think that that's going to cover it for today. We've we've entertained you long enough, but this set is definitely, along with the interesting stuff that they threw in, if that all ends up in historic, it's definitely going to be a massive shakeup. So what even is historic anymore? I don't know. It's turning into something very, very, very different than it used to be. I am trying really hard to fight against the boomer inclination of complaining about the amalgamous oozish nature of historic where it just seems like all this stuff has been crammed together and we're calling it a format and i'm trying to embrace the fact that this format is like a cards you own format you know what when you have your friend come over and it's like well what do you want to play here's my shoebox of magic cards we're just going to open it and build decks out of what's in here that was something we used to do uh by the way still a really good way to play magic on a budget is grab that old shoebox and just make decks with it and battle each other. That's what I feel like historic is. And I'm trying to enjoy it because I think that there's a lot of negativity from people who are playing it for the first time, especially if they come from magic online or paper magic of this doesn't feel like any format that they've ever seen but if you come from casual magic it really is like here's the cards arena has go get them and i i I like to get excited about when there are new introductions to a format like that i'm i'm excited about just about any good cards that get introduced because whether or not sphinx's revelation wrath of god turns out to be a competitive deck it's going to make me feel like oh my gosh the the first tournament I ever won was with a blue white control deck with millstone in it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, that was my win con. Yeah, yeah, the millstone, the original, and anything that kind of brings back that part of Magic because that's something Magic has other games don't. It's this epic long history that very few games can really make nostalgia plays, but Magic can. And I'm trying to just fall in love with the nostalgic nature of historic and it works better for me when I when I don't overthink the fact that this is a hodgepodge of cards from across several generations that is so different from any other format I've ever tried to play. And just embrace the fact that this is what we got, look what we can build, and uh, ride the nostalgia wave. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point. I think it's just clear that they want Historic to have the breadth and power level of some of these older Eternal formats in the game. So, you know, they've spoken about printing Pioneer into it. And so, but yeah, I don't know. I think Historic might eventually be kind of like the modern format is at the moment. And who knows? Maybe it just will really be its own beast eventually. I I don't actually know if there are any cards that are going to be in the format after this printing that aren't Pioneer playable. So I actually don't. I'd, we'd have to look at the list. There are cards in the format right now that are not Pioneer Like playable. Muxus, right? Like Muxus isn't... Right. Yeah. 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 Like the Jumpstart cards? Yeah, those are literally like historic and I believe like legacy, maybe? Interesting. I, like maybe not even legacy, but yeah. I, I think Constructed, it really is just like primarily plague constructed it is just historic it's kind of crazy it is so it's it's a very unique format but i think it's probably moving towards like uh my guess is it's eventually going to end up at like a modern power level of format or, or pioneer somewhere in between pioneer and modern 
Anyway, interesting, amorphous, weird format, but it's been fun. It's been fun. So I'm digging it. I hope that they keep doing this. I hope they keep throwing humdingers in there and just switching up the format so it doesn't get stale. Ooh, ooh, can I plug? Yes. Because we're kind of about to wrap up, right? Can I plug something? Plug it. (gasps) Okay, you're going to like it because you don't know about this yet. All right, lay it on me. All right. Sometime by the time that you're listening to this, hopefully, but within a few days, like the beginning of next week, I have a historic video of me playing Jeskai Feather in like top 25 Mythic that is going to be on the Arena Craft podcast youtube channel oh snap this so, this check is, that out this is news to me this is news to me so we yep very 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 exciting so yeah we we had a little discussion about you know maybe doing some kind of off off meta for cgv videos on uh on the history and the arena craft youtube channel so this will be one of those such videos so that that's super exciting i can't wait to check it out Awesome. Keep an eye out for that. Yeah, go subscribe to the YouTube channel because the video is on the editor's desk right now and should be done soon. Oh man, I'm stoked. So if you want to find that, you can go to YouTube forward slash ArenaCraft podcast. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher of choice. We are on Spotify if you enjoy Spotify. And just look us up, subscribe in your apps, the best way to get the show. If you do prefer listening to podcasts on YouTube, we are also there, including some other bonus video content. Now, you can find CGB on his YouTube channel. It's excellent. He's just pushes out a great video every single day, bar none. So that's YouTube. Just search for Covert Go Blue. And he also streams on Twitch live Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. It is a good time. So go check him out. All right, CGB, thank you for this mammoth episode, and I'll catch you next time. Later.